you're listening to Straight from the Heart, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia. Our teacher here on Straight from the Heart is Senior Pastor Joe Foch. We're currently in the New Testament going verse by verse through the book of Mark. On today's broadcast, we'll continue our study beginning in chapter 11. Before we finish, I'll give you some additional information so you can contact us with any questions or comments. But first, open your Bible to Mark chapter 11 and let's join Pastor Joe as he continues. Mark chapter 11 says, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage, and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and he saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied, whereon never a man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. The Lord now probably sending Peter and John. We're going to find out as we get into John's gospel. It was Peter and John that went and made preparation for the Passover. They seemed to be doing particular things during this week for the Lord. And Mark gives us the most detail of this sequence. So it would seem that Mark, who was mentored by Peter, um, has the most detail as the, as the Lord inspires him and brings these things to remembrance as he writes. Jesus at this point is doing something that is a, a paradigm shift from everything he's done up until this point. As we've watched this public ministry Again, he has told the leper, you know, don't tell any man, go to Jerusalem, offer the offering that Moses prescribed in the law for a testimony unto them. He's told blind people and deaf people not to tell anyone. Uh, after he fed the 5,000, when he, they would come and take him by force and make him king, he dispersed the multitudes. As we follow him, he's staying out of the limelight. He's staying out of the center of men's attention. He's not bringing attention to his ministry when he can avoid it. But he comes to Jerusalem this week, the Passion Week, the last week of his life. He is in complete charge. He is aligning things. He has told his disciples, you go you find this burrow tied, you're going to find it. It's going to be tied. Someone's going to say something to the, you. You give them this answer. The whole thing is laid out clearly before him. And he says, this is what I want you to do. And he's going to make his public presentation to the nation. He's going to spend the week in the temple courts. He's going to cleanse the temple again. He's going to confront the religious leaders on their own turf. He's going to cut them no slack. He will stand there judicially, as it were, in their midst. And it will be the greatest measure of confrontation and truth we see with the religious heart, the religious center of the nation in his public ministry. So 
Christ now this week, beginning on the 10th of Nisan, when the, the lambs were presented and inspected in the temple precincts to be acceptable for the sacrifice this week on Passover, here now the Lamb of God will come. He will be inspected, but more importantly, he will be inspecting them as he comes. And he's the one who sets the stage for all of this. So he tells them, you go. You'll find this cult tied whereupon a man never sat before. We know the one person in the crowd who understands who he is, is this cult, because he doesn't have to break it. It submits to its creator, and he rides in on this unbroken animal. And if any man say unto you, why are you doing this? You just say the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he'll send him. And they went their way, and they found the cult tied by the door without, notice the detail, in a place where two ways met, so eyewitness account, and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye, loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. So uh, possibly a, a believer, a disciple, when he hears the Lord has need of him, he says, you go, you take him. And many, it says, and they brought the colt, I'm sorry, verse 7, to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat on him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches. John's gospel tells us they were palm branches, cut down branches of the trees and threw them in the way. John's account is interesting, and John is honest about these things. It says, they took branches from palm trees, went forth to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. But then John says, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. So John is honest enough to say, hey, on Palm Sunday at the triumphal entry, we were there in the middle of it, but we did not have an inkling of what was going on. We didn't understand what was taking place. It says they didn't understand until after he was risen when they put the picture together. So he says, we were there, but we didn't understand. We thought certainly he's coming into Jerusalem. The crowds are finally receiving him. He's going to overthrow the Roman bondage. Hey, we're arguing over who's going to be seated you know, closest to him in the kingdom. We didn't have any idea of what was going on. Jesus is weeping because, again, in Luke, he said, if thou had only known this thy day, the things that belong unto thy peace, but now your house will be left unto you desolate and so forth. It was that particular day that Daniel had prophesied in chapter 9, a day, if you read Sir Robert Anderson's work, The Coming Prince, it brings it down to the day from the time that Artaxerxes Longimanus, March 14th, 445 BC, gave the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, 173,880 days from that day to this day, the very day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem. If you had only known this thy day, he held them responsible to understand the day. And yet John says his disciples didn't understand it. They didn't know. Here he is riding into Jerusalem, palm branches 
clothing being thrown in the way. And they went before, and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. From Psalm 118, blessed be the, um, the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now let me read to you from Psalm 118. It says this, it's, and it's one of the Hillel Psalms, the, the, the Psalms of Ascent. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And by the way, this was done in, in a response. It would be sung back and forth. The stone which the builders refuse has become the head of the corner. Then the, crowd, the, the others would respond, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Then the other crowd would say, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Then they would respond, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Save now, Hosanna. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, and now this is beautiful, verse 27, which hath showed us light. He's given us light. And this is the light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. What a remarkable prophecy. Here he comes, triumphal entry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the cornerstone. This is the stone the builders rejected. It's become the head of the corner. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And in regards to all this, God has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. Christ coming to give his life. And they're crying from this Psalm 118. Verse 11 says, And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple. And when he had looked round about, notice, upon all things, and now the eventide was come. And Mark is giving us a more chronological record of these things than Matthew. And now eventide was come. He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. Now understand, as he's coming into Jerusalem, crowds are pouring out of the east gate. Crowds are following him. There was a very steep road down the Mount of Olives, still there today, and there was one that winded around. And no doubt that is the one that he's on. It's not as steep. There are multitudes following him. There are multitudes flooding out to meet him. The average population of Jerusalem was about 500,000 in that day. It swelled to between 2 and 3 million during the feasts. So the crowds are there, and he is presenting himself publicly, and he is allowing the multitudes to cry, Hosanna. He's allowing all this. Not only is he allowing it, he's orchestrating it. He comes into the temple, and he looks around on all things. And then it says, at evening, he goes to Bethany. And in the morrow, it says, the next morning, when they were come from Bethany... He was hungry. Now, again, I imagine, and I can only imagine, I'm speculating, it's because he got up early and went alone to be with the Father. This is the Passion Week. He's going to be confronted in the temple every day. Because you know Martha was up early cooking. That's Martha. 
It, you know, and, and, and she was up at this point. She's going through the first thing with Jesus where, Lord, don't you care? My sister's Mary. She's a space case. She's sitting at the living room, you know, and, and the Lord's saying, Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things. Mary hath chosen the better part and it shall not be taken from her. And then they've gone through the situation with their brother and coming to Jesus saying, if you'd only been here and him calling Lazarus forth from the tomb. And you know, Martha's not complaining anymore. She's up whistling, singing, working, and you know, getting breakfast ready. And I'm sure she's not even bugged that Jesus wasn't there. She was glad to feed the guys but as they came into Jerusalem, it says he was hungry. It's interesting. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came, if haply, perhaps, he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For the, you know, just an interesting statement Mark makes for the time of figs was not yet. Well, that would explain why he didn't find any figs. And Jesus answered and said unto it, to the literal tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now look, this is interesting because we're gonna find out the next morning they see the tree withered. Uh, this is the last of 18 miracles aside from the resurrection in Mark's gospel, and it's the only one where he uses his miraculous power to destroy. It's very specific when you read through the gospels. This fig tree grew by the side of the road. This was not in someone's field of fig trees. He's not destroying private property that belongs to a farmer. This is an isolated fig tree by the side of the road. Now, I've read ad nauseum about figs. You know, these two kinds of fig trees and these kind had figs and these kinds had figs, you know, in June, August, September, and then the last figs. That's besides the point. And I've read... I've read so many things, what, I, what, what would benefit is if we would go there and talk to somebody who raises figs outside of Jerusalem, then we get the straight story. Uh, you know, it's like reading about um, Jesus couldn't have been born on December 25th because it said the shepherds were keeping their flocks in the field, and of course the shepherds never do that in the winter because it's cold. Well, that's great to read in a commentary, but when you go to Jerusalem and you go out into the shepherd's fields in the winter, I was, I've been there when there's eight inches of snow in Jerusalem and the shepherds are out in the field outside of Bethlehem with their flocks. They just never read the commentaries. They don't know. So, you know, <laughs> here's, here's all of these opinions on figs. The point is the fig tree as we look at the fig tree, Judges 9.10, Hosea 9.10, um, Jeremiah 24, Joel chapter 1. It's a picture of the nation of Israel. And the idea here we're going to see is it's promising. It's covered with foliage. It looks verdant. It looks filled with growth. But there's no fruit. And this will play out in his challenge in the temple during the week because he will be challenging a fruitless religious system. And he will be telling parables in relation to that. So this fig tree had all of the promise, verdant. It looked like it was healthy. It was, had all of the leaves, but there was no fruit there. And Jesus then says, let no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. His disciples, it just says, 
heard it. And they come to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple, and he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers. And notice it doesn't say the tables of those that sold doves because he wouldn't hurt the dove. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. This is the second time he cleanses the temple. He did it in John chapter 2, and you read there at the beginning of his public ministry. There he made a whip and drove them out. Now that must have been an authoritative scene, and this must also. There's not a word about the temple guards who will arrest him coming to stop this process. There's no mention of Roman soldiers coming to stop what's going on. There must have been an incredible demonstration of authority that accompanied this to the point that everybody moved out of his way and no one stopped him. No one stopped him. He comes in overturning the tables of the money changers, the seats of those who sold doves, and he put out those who bought and sold. This is in the court of the Gentiles. It was about 17 acres, all tall, 17 to 18 acres. This entire property is right around 13 acres, so a little bit bigger than our whole property, if you can imagine, is the court of the Gentiles outside the court of women and the court of Israel, where no Gentile was allowed to go. And it should have been a place where the nations of the world could have come to pray. But because the precincts were so large, people began to cut across the precincts, taking shortcuts when they went to the market. And Caiaphas and Annas, both being high priests then, but Annas and his sons, we know from Josephus and from historians, they ran the money changing and the purchase of animals in the temple courts. And it was a racket. What the law said was that when you came to offer a sacrifice, and again, beautifully, the sacrifice had to be examined, not the worshiper. The worshiper obviously had spot and blemish. That's why he was bringing a sacrifice. The worshiper was never examined. The animal was examined, the sacrifice. And it was to be without spot and blemish. If you came on one of the mandatory feasts from a far country, obviously you couldn't drag an ox or a sheep with you. So you were allowed to come, bring the money, and then buy the animal there. So what they would do is if you would come with, with Greek or Roman coinage into the temple precincts with an image on it, that was blasphemous to them, a graven image, and you weren't allowed to use that money in the temple precincts to buy an animal. So they'd send you, say, they'd say, no, you, we can't take that money. You go to the money changers. So then you'd change your money with the money changers and they'd charge you, you know, seven bucks to, to exchange five bucks. You know, you'd be losing, two, you know, they were taking a percentage of your money. And it's amazing to go to Jerusalem today, you see all these shops, the sign says money changers. They're still there. Thank you, Lord. What an interesting, you know, Word picture. So they would get them coming and going. Then they would take what they had left of their money after they exchanged it and paid the, the, the tax or whatever, however they justified it. And they would go to buy the animal. And it, back home, a lamb might cost you $20. In the temple precincts, that same lamb was $75. And they would say, this is highway robbery. What are you doing? And they say, hey, 
You want to worship? You want a lamb? This is, you know, you go out, you go out in the, if you then, if you'd go out into the market and buy your own animal, animal, bring it back, they'd find something wrong with it. So it was unacceptable. So they had the people coming and going. They estimate that Caiaphas was making, who didn't run it, Annas and his sons ran, ran it. One scholar I read said they estimated in today's value, Caiaphas himself made over $3 million a year off of this gouging of the people. And he didn't have the main part of it. That was Annas and his sons. So Jesus comes into the temple precincts. The court of the Gentiles should have been open and quiet, a place of worship, meditation, and prayer. Instead, it is a marketplace. People are getting ripped off. People are taking advantage of worshipers. Imagine religious people doing that, being in it for the money. Nah. And he came into the temple. He had looked around the day before on all things. He began to cast them that sold and them that bought in the temple and overthrow the tables of the money changers. You can imagine that money going all over the ground. And the seats overturned the seats of those who sold doves. The doves sold for the poor who couldn't afford to buy a lamb. So they're even taking advantage of the poor in the name of God. Nothing worse than a religious crook. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught now as the multitude settled down. Now it tells us in Matthew, the blind and the lame came to him there and he healed them. And the Midrash and the Talmud tell us that they didn't allow the, the blind and the lame into the temple precincts. They were allowed to sit outside the gate and beg, but the tr tradition was that blindness and lameness was a judgment from God. So therefore, if you were blind or lame, it was because there was sin in your life. They were allowed to beg outside the temple, but they weren't properly allowed into the temple. But when Jesus cleanses the temple, it says the blind and the lame come to him and he's healing them there. Remarkable seen what God's house should look like there in the temple precincts. And he taught them saying, it is, is it not written, my house, now this is Herod's temple. He says, my house shall be called of all nations, the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And he's saying it's more dangerous to be in the Temple Mount than it is to journey from Jericho to Jerusalem where there were robbers. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it. They sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine, his teaching. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree. Now, this is a very interesting picture. It was dried up from the roots because normally when you see a tree smitten with a blight or something, it's dried up from the leaves backward. You might see the, the trunk still looking fairly healthy, but the leaves withering. This is a very interesting picture. This fig tree is withered from the roots up which means when they came back that the bark was peeling, that the, the, the trunk was all dried and withered. It was withered from the roots up. And it says that in the other gospel too. It's interesting. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest. It's withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. 
not in throwing mountains into the sea or cursing fig trees, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, now this is a Hebrew idiom. It speaks of something that's immovable, something that never seems like it's going to move out of the way. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall literally be believing that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, you remember, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts, this mountain that's before Zerubbabel, it shall be removed, you know, it shall become a plain. The idea is through the Lord's power and through the Lord's work. This is not a blank check in prayer. This is a remarkable promise. Those are two different things. That concludes our teaching time here on Straight from the Heart. If you enjoyed today's message from Mark chapter 11 and would like to hear it again in its entirety, you can listen to it on our website for free at www.ccphilly.org. Just go to our homepage and click on Listen to Current Messages, then select Straight from the Heart and click on the study with today's date. You can also listen to today's teaching from Mark chapter 11 or any other message from Genesis to Revelation by downloading our free app on your tablet or mobile device. Just go to your app store and search for Calvary Chapel Philadelphia or go to our website and click the link for the mobile app. In addition to our app, you can also study the Bible with Pastor Joe by subscribing to our Straight from the Heart radio podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify. For more information on this broadcast or Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, don't forget to visit our website at ccphilly.org. Thanks for listening, and remember to join us next time as we continue with more great Bible teaching that comes straight from the heart.